Hey everybody, today on the podcast we continue our conversation about gender, sexuality, and the next generation. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome back or welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name's Jared. My name's David. We're back at it again. Yep, coming up on June. Oh um, man. Summer is here. Ooh. Your pool is open. I have an incredible tan. And um, actually... Today is Memorial Day, I believe. We pre-record, but I think this is getting released on Memorial Day. Unless you um, don't well, work on Memorial Day and you refuse to release it that day. So well, you're coming off you, of... You know I can release it ahead of time, right? You're coming off of New York Youth Convention. Yep. How does that feel to be thinking about being on the other side of that? It feels amazing to be done with it. Uh, let's just say that it was the best weekend ever. <sighs> yeah, the most successful youth convention most in history. Most successful ever. It ended with all the students... Putting you on their shoulders and carrying you across the arena, chanting hmm. your name. Okay, I was kind of hoping they would be chanting Jesus's name, but well, <laughs> that gives you the opportunity to then point them to Jesus. Hey, hey, this is idolatry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I hope whatever you guys have did or are doing for Memorial Day weekend that you are enjoying, remembering those who paid a great sacrifice for our nation, the freedom that we uh, enjoy, and. Um, and uh, that you're looking forward to some exciting summer months. Yeah, let's go. Summer's upon us. We're excited. I can't wait. My favorite time of the year. Yep, I know. And my favorite time is coming up right after your favorite time. <sighs> fall. Mm, fall. Yes. Lord's favorite time. Okay. I, I, hey, I'm not going to fight that. We're glad you guys are glad you guys are with us. And um, if you have not listened to the previous episode, stop what you're doing now because this one isn't going to make sense. Go back and listen to the previous one. Um, we kind of opened up a whole can of worms as we we started to talk about um, gender, sexuality, and the next generation. And um, we introduced some some ideas and some concepts about um, what is kind of taking place as we've read and listened to others and some experts and um, shared a little bit of our thoughts, but mostly shared some data and research about what's happening right now in our world that we can we we need to be aware of. Um, and then today we're going to shift the conversation a little bit and talk about what do we do with that information? You mm-hmm. know, how do we lead if you're um, if you're a pastor, but even if you're just just an adult or a person that's around young people or someone children, who's alive, grandchildren, right? Yeah. Really, in any any facet in life, maybe you're a teenager yourself, and what do we do with this information? And how do we how do we ultimately carry out the mission of God? How do we help and love and serve the people that are around us and so that's going to be what we're going to talk about today yeah and again it's probably it's worth saying that we come at this from the perspective of pastors um you know church leaders spiritual leaders we're not scientists we're not therapists we're not psychologists um we don't we can't speak really from that angle i mean we can reference what others in those fields have said yeah but our perspective will be uniquely pastoral i think Mm mm-hmm and rooted in Scripture. Yep. So if you're listening and um, Scripture's not a foundation you trust, then there's probably a lot that we'll say that won't resonate with you. Um, but um, this is what we find to be helpful in terms of shaping our worldview and how to speak to all issues, this issue and many others. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're not going to talk about really how to how to treat the issue of gender dysphoria. You can... You can um, read the experts on that but we are going to talk about how do we how do we handle it from from our perspective as uh, spiritual leaders and people that are trying to love people and help help those around us so i'm excited i'm excited dave the first part was depressing we looked at the problem 
yeah. but today will hopefully be encouraging. We're going to yeah. talk about solutions. Absolutely. So, so let's dive in. Let's dive in. Um, so quick recap. Last episode, we talked about kind of classic, we called it classic gender dysphoria, what, what took place over the last hundred years, and then what's happened recently over the last 10 years. And there's really this epidemic hitting predominantly adolescent females. Um, so there's a massive increase um, in Britain alone. They reference 4,000% increase over the last 10 years of adolescent, mostly adolescent teen girls coming out um, and expressing s- some sort of gender dysphoria. Seeking medical help. Seeking medical help, yeah. yeah. Many of them starting testosterone, many of them pursuing um, gender reassignment surgery and all this kind of stuff. So coupled with, I don't think we said this in the last podcast, but it is important we kind of reference this, on almost every case of a teenager coming out and, and expressing gender dysphoria or saying that they're transgender, they also have multiple other mental issues that they're struggling with, mental health issues, right? So oftentimes it's coupled with anxiety and depression. Um, there could even be other things that they're dealing with. So what you're having, what, essentially we can sum it up with there's a lot of hurt teenagers who are dealing with, and you said this last episode, they're dealing with things that are not totally uncommon. Every generation has dealt with things like anxiety, depression, but they're dealing with in a new frontier, mm-hmm. in a new way, and probably in many ways because of that new frontier, it's heightened and made worse. Certainly mental health has become kind of this explosion of an issue. So mm-hmm. that's a little bit of a recap. Um, let's d- jump into the solution. Yeah, so something that I've heard you say a lot in terms of just the way you look at um, – what it means to be a Christian is you often talk about identity and mission and the way in which those tie in together and that to be a disciple of Jesus is to have a new identity and a new mission and that our mission flows out of our identity, right? Once we have a clear sense of who we are, then that has a way of informing and influencing the things that we live for and, and, and the ways in which we direct our energies and our efforts. So, you know, that is kind of a universal starting point in terms of dealing with any sort of human issue. But how is that specifically relevant to this conversation? Yeah, and I do think this is the framework that I use for all of Scripture, that all of mankind in all of history has has had this issue, right? So if you look at the biblical account, the creation, God creates us in His image. He gives us an identity. Um, And then you have the, the creation story, Adam and Eve, and sin enters the world. And what ultimately is it? It's them looking for identity outside of God, right? So the serpent says, surely God would not, you know, and so they're going, okay, let me look outside. Let me find my identity outside yeah. of what's been given to me. Questioning his character and his goodness. Absolutely. And causing them to look. Yeah. Right. So, so how that translates is this. Every human being that has ever existed has a mission, and their mission is to find identity. So identity, another way you could translate that is a sense of value and worth, right? It's a sense of significance. It's what gets me up in the morning, right? So every person's mission in life is to find identity. And we look for identity in a whole bunch of different ways. And we've talked about this before on the podcast. A a good way to think about this, I think, is helpful is through the lens of idolatry. So Tim Chester in his book, You Can Change, which I recommend, lays out kind of four main heart idols. We've talked about it before a bunch. Um, Their power comfort, approval, and security or control. Mm -hmm. And so here's how I think this is manifest. So essentially you're looking to those things to give you a sense of identity. 
So for David, he tries to assert his power over me during these podcasts to give him a sense of identity, although it doesn't work. Um, and so anyway, you, you can understand every person, right, is their mission is to find identity in something. What gives me a sense of value? And then Jesus basically is the only person in history that actually lived out his identity, his God-given identity. And in doing so, he secures us an identity that we didn't earn and we don't need to be afraid of losing. So that's the gospel. He imparts onto us an identity that we couldn't get ourselves. And now our mission changes from finding identity to helping others find their identity in mm. Christ. So for the first time as a Christian, you move from being a selfish person in your perspective of, I've got to find identity for myself, to now it's selfless, where I'm here to serve others. I'm here to help them find freedom that I've found in Christ. So that's the idea of Jesus changes our identity and mission, right? Yeah, I think the New Testament authors talk about our um, lives being hid in Christ on high, right? And so this idea that everybody hides their life in something, hides their life in their achievements, their accomplishments, their relationships, even their sexual orientation, right? Absolutely. And so um, as a Christian, and and, and identity is multifaceted, right? Oh, yeah. So, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a son, I'm a pastor, I'm a world-class athlete, you know, all of those things might be true of me. Right. Yep. Um, <laughs> I would, I think so. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the uh, stronger host on a podcast that I co-host, right? So just a few different, <laughs> okay. anyway, all that to say, like, hiding ourselves in Christ doesn't mean that we cease to become a father or a brother or a son or a pastor or any of those things. It's a prioritization, right? So yeah. hiding our life in Christ means that everything ultimately comes after who we are in Christ, and who we are in Christ informs all our other aspects of our identity. So um, hiding ourselves in Christ means that as we hide ourselves in him, his life becomes more revealed in us. That's right. So that's kind of the mystery of spiritual growth. We hide in Christ, he's seen in us. Right. So I would, you know, in terms of what you're saying, identity, hiding Christ, mission, his life revealed through us. Absolutely. Right? And so how does that help us in this conversation specifically? Well, I think it helps us to understand really the, the heart of the problem for most people, or really for all people, right? So to go back to the, and this is where I think the idolatry thing comes in, where Tim Chester lays out these idols, because in my assessment of working with young people, I think predominantly the two idols that are the most prominent in today's culture are approval and comfort. So for this next generation, it's approval, which, by the way, those are my two primary idols. Um, so what you what you can say then, and this is what Tim Chester says, is all sin, all life is this pursuit of identity in something outside of Christ. That's what sin is. So instead of us trying to correct behavior and say, that's bad, don't you're not that, don't be that, don't do that, what we're saying is, that won't satisfy you, right? So for teenagers today, and I think this issue of gender dysphoria, transgenderism, what we can see a lot of is, and this would explain the kind of the social um, mass th situation that's happening with our, our adolescent uh, girls in particular, is there is, number one, a desperate identity grab in approval. Hmm. So we're looking for the approval of our peers. We're looking for the approval of, the, of our culture, the people around us of influencers, of all this, all these things, it's, it's, it's a pull out of approval, right? I want to feel like I have worth and value because the people around me think highly of me. Yeah. And this informs, the, I mean, this speaks to so many issues, yeah. right? This approval can also 
force you into an unhealthy heterosexual relationship, of course. Like this Absolutely. is not just specific to the conversation we're having, but 100%. this this does speak to the conversation we're having. Right. And it speaks to it in a holistic, again, a spiritual, scripturally informed way in terms of how do we help students, young people, and even ourselves as adults, how do we help, how do we protect ourselves from losing ourselves in something that is not as sure um, and uh, eternal as Christ's work on our behalf? Right. Absolutely. So there may be some students who think to themselves, I will be happy if I can change my gender. Mm -hmm. But in reality, what's happening in their heart, like so many others, are thinking, I will be happy if I could get the approval of people around me, Mm -hmm. my friend group. Right. So that's the approval idol. But the other one is comfort. And this one I think is interesting because typically comfort idol would manifest itself by like, let's say, binging Netflix. It's the comfort idol is the avoidance of pain or discomfort. So or this this informs a lot of like people that um, are addicted to pornography. Right. They'll watch eight hours of pornography a day. Mm -hmm. Well, they're escaping from their reality. Right. Just they're, a dulling of the senses. Dulling, yeah. yeah, they're trying to avoid pain. Now, that kind of seems like, well, how would that make sense for kids that are taking testosterone or gender reassignment surgery? Which is costly. Which is costly. Yeah. But here's the interesting thing. Testosterone, in particular, one of the interesting things about it is it actually will change the chemical balance of your body, of course. And one of the byproducts of it is people that struggle with anxiety and depression will feel oftentimes an immediate relief of that. Hmm. So testosterone, you can think about, it kind of gives you, um, this is not a good analogy, but you could say like, you know, they talk about alcohol being like a liquid courage. Mm -hmm. It's kind of has some of the same effects. So oftentimes what happens is people will, they'll go on testosterone and immediately feel less anxious, less depressed. And of course in their mind, they're translating that to, oh, as I'm moving towards my gender True, desire, so, yeah. I'm feeling better, right? I've never felt better. When in actuality, what's happening is there's chemical. a chemical change happening in the body. Um, and of course, long-term, there's tons of negative side effects. But so there's a, there's a comfort in that, right? As I do this, I'll feel better. I won't, have to, I won't have to wrestle with these feelings. But also when it comes to surgery, that seems like, well, how is that comfort? But in reality, I think there's a, there's a strong argument to say, if students perceive in their mind a solution, which is if I do this, then I'll feel better. If I if I caught up, you know, cut off parts of my body, mm-hmm. I won't feel anxious. I won't feel depressed anymore. They'll actually go through pain temporarily with the idea that long term I'll have comfort. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, and we all and and that's that's, you know, that is the sacrifice now for the benefits later. Right, right. which is a little bit counterintuitive, but ultimately it is. It is a it is a, a comfort idol that will drive them to do extreme things in the belief that I can avoid feeling what I'm feeling. Sure. Yeah. So I think so that's how the idea of the gospel, Jesus identity and mission can help shape this conversation and what teenagers are going yeah. through. All right. That's great. That's great. Um, what are some, you know, moving away from that, um, what are some practical thoughts that you might have on how can we speak to this issue in a way that is you know, the Bible talks about speaking the truth in love. And maybe one of the challenges with this conversation is that the church or Christians as a whole have not figured out how to really do that. You have people erring on either side of it. But, you know, truth without love will not be heard. Yeah. You you know, you're not going to listen to someone who's just ranting at you and yelling at you and seems to hate you. And truth without love will not be heard. But love without truth isn't helpful. Yeah. Certainly not in a way that is for the ultimate good of the other person, right? right? 
You know, yeah. kindness and niceness aren't the same thing. Niceness is you don't rock the boat. Kindness is sometimes you rock the boat because you care about that person and they need to at least have certain conversations. And when you're making a decision with this sort of long-term implications, both physically, mentally, socially, like the ramifications of uh, reassignment surgery long-term obviously are tremendously significant. To, yeah. to not be able to have at least healthy gracious conversations is I think a dangerous place to be when we can't even have conversations anymore. So um, how do we thread that needle? You know, what are some practical things we can do in in helping the next generation approach this? Because a lot of them, whether they're, whether they are going through this themselves or not, they have friends that they love very much that are. Absolutely. So yeah. What are your thoughts there? Yeah. I, so when I think about what do we do, like there's three things that I think, and this is the, the, the past preacher in me is like, Three things that I think we have to fight for. And the first one you you really reference, which is we have to fight for truth. And so all of this is clothed in absolutely loving and caring for the people around us, of course. And I think you laid that out really well. But it would be a disservice and unloving if we don't as um, if we don't stand up for truth. Mm. And truth being this, I don't I think we need to not shy away for from number one biblically so if you're a christian the bible is 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 very clear on on the concept of gender that gender is not fluid god created man and woman there's two distinct genders um that is the ultimate design now that's not to say that there are not people born with genuine gender dysphoria and they have uh, mental health issues where they feel dramatically uncomfortable with the the physical body they were born Mm -hmm. with and i think we need to we need to be incredibly gracious and um, really think through how we handle people that have legitimate gender dysphoria. Yeah. How do we serve them? How do we serve them? Yeah. How do we love them? How would you love anybody that had mental health issues in your church, right? Right. Which is a much bigger conversation that, again, the church has not always hit home runs on. No. You know, and that's, an, that's obviously an understatement. And uh, we even talked about, as we were preparing for this conversation, the last episode in this episode, having a friend join us soon who's a mental health expert who can really help us um, speak to that conversation broadly. Absolutely. So, but we don't help them by um, pretending like there isn't a, there isn't two genders, um, male and female. And by the way, I would say that we don't just stand on this. If you're a Christian, we don't just stand on this based on the Bible. We actually stand on this based on science, too. So there, there's, not, there's not a lot of things that are more scientifically concrete than the difference between men and women. Um, everything from the chromosomes that we have to the our size of our skeletal muscle mass. Um, in almost every way, men and women are different. Um, and, and that's okay to say. And I think we need to, sh- we need to not shy away from that because our students, our adolescents, our, the next generation is hearing a different message. They're hearing that gender is malleable. Gender is a social construct. Um, gender is nothing at all. And I think we, so we need to stand up and go, no, that's not true. Like that is not truth. And if we don't do that, we're doing a disservice. And of course we got to do it in a loving and in a, in a gracious way. Absolutely. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So so fighting for truth, and um, sometimes people hear the word fight and they think of like aggressiveness and violence, but fighting is really a determination that I'm gonna I'm gonna stand in between lies and you, right? Yeah. I'm gonna um, I'm not going to just bow my knee to redefinition of all things, right. but rather we're gonna look historically, scripturally, faithfully. What do we believe to be true from yeah. God's word? And, and one other quick thought on that, David, I would say is. 
I think that one of the ways the church has failed is we have also confused things like interest and gender. So what we've done is, you know, um, not to not to poo-poo on a famous Christian book, but remember the book Wild at Heart, John Eldridge, I think he wrote. And there's probably some good things in that book. When I first read it, I thought it was great. But one of the problems that we've done is what we've we've confused interests and gender. So we've said, if you're a boy, you, mm. your spectrum of interest should be this. And if they're not, there's something wrong with you. And if you're a girl, your spectrum of interest should be this. And that is typically true, but it's not always true. Right. And so what what we do is if we're not careful, you have a group of boys who do not share those interests and a group of girls who do not share those, that what the, what are they being told? If you feel this way, then you're probably you not yeah. that gender. Yeah. And so we have to, as the church, stand up and go, no, no, it's okay. If you're a boy and you're creative, you're into this, you're into that, you're still a boy. Like you're still a man. Right. You just, there can be a variety of interests. That's okay. That has nothing to do with your gender. Yeah. And you can still, um, it's kind of embarrassing, it has to be said, but you still bear God's image in wonderful ways with different interests. Right. 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 And uh, I, I think that's, you know, I think that's a really important point here because there was, and, and by the way, the manly man definition doesn't necessarily even come from scripture. It probably comes more from American culture, you know, right. the, the cowboy movies, John Wayne, that sort of stoic, um, strong, silent. Man, that's, you know, you look at scripture, like, look at David, who yeah. was, like, weeping and loved Playing Jonathan and, and played his played harp and wrote songs, and but I was also a warrior. Right. So Cut, cut your like, head off. This idea that there's a very distinct way to bear God's image as a male or as a female is created some confusion unnecessarily. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad you brought that out. Um, the second thing that I know that you want to talk about is uh, fighting not just for truth, but fighting for awareness. Yeah. And that's really the first, the, the last podcast that we talked about is this is, I think, a big issue, which is leaders, parents, even other teens are not totally aware of what is going on and what is happening. So they're not aware of what's happening in schools. They're not aware of what's happening on social media. They're not aware of the messages that are being sent. So if you talk about standing up for truth, well, you have to know what lies are being said in order to know what to stand up for truth, in order to share you know, a different message. So our teens are at the point in their life where they're the most vulnerable, the most confused, the most kind of unsure about things. And, and as parents and community of adults, our job is to be stability. But if we don't know, if we don't have awareness of what's happening, it's very hard to be stability for them. And we and we can run the risk of answering questions that they're not asking. Yeah, yeah. Which then begins to invalidate the things that you actually do have to say that are helpful. Yeah. Right. Like your lack of awareness, your ignorance on something, um, just your lack of clarity even on how things are defined and understood by this generation. And you know, listen, I have a student. I have a child now who's a teenager. It's 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 shocking how soon the battle is on you to seem like you still know what you're talking about, you know. And <laughs> yeah. she's great, and you know, um, but you go in like a six month span from being the source of all wisdom and knowledge to being like um, very questionable yep. source. <laughs> yep. And so to have awareness takes a lot of work and. I think there are a lot of parents that would just like to put their head in the sand mm-hmm. or shake their fist at culture um, or just insist it won't be an issue right. for their um, for their children. Um, and the reality is, is this is this is something that we all need to be aware of and be able to speak to 
in an informed way, in a gracious way, and really with the heart and voice of Christ in yeah. this matter. Yeah. So if you're wondering, what do I do with that? Hey, first up, get 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 Abigail Shar's book. You know, buy 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 her book, Irreversible Damage, and start reading about it. I mean, that's that's one of the simplest things that you can do is just start to educate yourself and 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 learn. And so, um, yeah. So fight for awareness. That that was the second thing. Um, then the last thing I would say is we got to fight for families. Mm. And I think this is it goes along with the awareness because part of that is making helping parents become aware of what's happening in their teenager's life. But as the church, I don't think we've done a great job of this when we're when we're talking about reaching the next generation is we we've thought of ministry as specifically to teens or the next gen, but we fail to understand and, and realize that the most important advocate, the most important partner in these kids' lives are their parents, are their families. And so we have to create ministry that's not just to them, but it's holistic. It's to the families, it's to the parents, Mm -hmm. you know? So, so churches and leaders should be making it uh, a part of what they do to say, how do we help inform parents? How do we help support parents? How do we help make parents aware of what's happening? Most parents, you know, I'll give you an example with pornography. Most parents had no idea that their kids on their PlayStation could go find porn. Hmm. You know, most parents have no idea that their kid that has social media social apps media. like Twitter can look at porn. You know, so simple things like that. It's like, how do we make people aware of what's happening, of the risks, so that they can better parent, better support, better love their their kids? And yeah. so... I think that maybe is happening in some churches, but I think it needs to happen to a far greater level. And I think most parents, no one sets, I shouldn't say no one, but the vast majority of people begin the journey of being a parent with the best intentions, right? Mm-hmm. No one no one sets off to say, I'm going to be a par- terrible uh, mom or a terrible dad. But along the way, like, it's hard. Parenting yeah. is hard work. And, you know, one example that that kind of relates to this is like when my, when my daughters, even my 11 year old comes home with math homework and wants my help. I was a great math student in school. It was my best subject. I mean, I just hundreds and everything, but here I am 25 years later and I can't help them. You can I don't barely remember add. it's changed. Yeah. I can barely balance my checkbook. Right. So think about how, so I'm just talking about math. Yeah. Now think about how much society has changed and the conversation on sexuality and gender has changed in the last 25 years. I still would, you know, if I don't make the effort to learn and to listen, um, I'm going to be drowning in those conversations. I'm going to be as useless to my girls as I am when it comes to helping them with math. So you've mentioned a couple books along the way. Can you go back, just circle back, tell me then, give us the names of a few books, resources that would be helpful for people at this point in life. Boy, I really want to dive deep and learn more. Yeah, so the best book that I've read on the issue of transgenderism and what's happening right now is called irreversible damage it's by abigail schreier um again she is not a christian she is um she is a um um she writes you know she's a journalist sorry the word slipped my mind but she does a great job of it's all interviewing experts and all that stuff so I i would read that book irreversible damage um another book that i would highly recommend that talks a lot about um, teenage culture and the I- influence and impact of social media and tech is The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt. Phenomenal book. Um, everybody should really read it. Um, speaks to this this next generation. Um, we also mentioned You Can Change by Tim Chester. If you want to dive deeper into the kind of idolatry stuff, that's a phenomenal book as well. So um, yeah, and if you're not a big reader too, you can you could look up 
some of these people on different podcasts and stuff that they've been on as well. Um, there's multi multi hour conversations where they dive into this stuff. That's really helpful as well. Yeah. And take this recommendation with a grain of salt. Cause I've literally only read chapter one, but it became, it came highly recommended to me. It's by a guy named Carl Truman, the rise and triumph of modern self. Oh, sorry. The rise and triumph of the modern self subtitled cultural amnesia, expressive individualism and the road to sexual revolution. Um, supposed to be really, um, in terms of giving a foundational um, understanding of how we got to where we are, um, supposed to be very, very helpful in that conversation. So that just came out in 2020. Again, it's by Carl Truman, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Yeah, yeah. I have not read that yet, but I did get it on Audible because you recommended it. So yeah, I will be listening. And it's a, it's a loose recommendation. It's someone else's recommendation. But um, seems promising. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we hope you guys are are feeling encouraged. Um, at the end of the day, too, again, from a Christian perspective, here's the good news is that for every one of us who has who has their faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit at the end of the day has to supernaturally transform our hearts. And he can do that with anybody. There is nothing bigger than his work in our lives. And so that's the that's the great news that we serve a huge God. And as we're faithful and loving and caring, um, in some ways what's happening with this generation is nothing new, right? For every generation, there's this mass identity grab, this mass kind of separation from parents and looking to make it kind of find your way on your own. That's always a part of yeah. teenage and life. And the desire to be our own God, our yeah. own you know, final authority. Right, absolutely. Yeah. So hopefully you were encouraged by that and um, we look forward to maybe having more conversation and um, about this topic and mental health, as David said, in particular. So, hey, before we go, we do want to end our podcast with a little thing we call David's Eats, helping become better leaders and better eaters. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I am, uh, if you listen to the podcast, you know that I am a dessert guy. David is not really a dessert guy, but every now and then he likes to, you know, he likes to dabble in the sweets. It's funny you should say that because last night I did. Okay, okay. Well, start by telling us what you had last night. So last night we had some good friends over. No, this is pre-recorded, so it's actually by the time you hear this, it's like a month ago. But we had some friends over for dinner, and um, they brought us something from a bakery in Syracuse called the Honeycomb Bakery. Oh. And it's on Nottingham Road in Syracuse if you're a local person. And they brought us cannoli cake. Now, they mm. brought a bunch of other stuff, too. I've had cannoli cake at other places. Um this was probably the best cannoli cake I've ever had. And, and I think what I loved it so much was it wasn't like overwhelmingly sweet. Like cannolis mm. aren't supposed to be overwhelmingly right. sweet and neither was the cake. And actually it was less cakey and more almost like a banana bread texture. Hmm. So at first I thought, well, this looks really dry. This is going to be dry, but it, it's not at all. It's got chocolate chips right in the cake, oh, um, baby. cannoli frosting, cannoli filling. Oh, yeah. And so I guess what they're really famous for, though, is their savory croissants. They have croissants there that are okay. there's other things baked into it, cheeses and spinach and meats and stuff like that that are supposed to be amazing. In fact, I'm looking at it right now, 37 Google reviews, 5.0 stars. Wow. So Let's if you're go. in Syracuse, head to the Honeycomb Bakery. Tell them that the Multiply podcast sent you and, <laughs> and try some cannoli cake. Well, that sounds delicious. The only question I have is um, seeing how I live two blocks away, why didn't I get a call last night? Come over tonight. No. Got you know what? slice left. I'm not going to have leftover seconds of cannoli cake. I'll put a piece in your mailbox. Okay, done. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. This is the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you guys next time.